We are going to be in John chapter 10 today as we continue in our series on the I Am Statements of Jesus. Last week we started it with the, um, with the big I Am Statement of Jesus where they asked him when they were trying to figure out, Jesus, who are you? Do you think you're greater than the prophets? Do you think you're greater than Abraham? And Jesus has the famous statement of before Abraham was, I am. We talked last week about how that meant that he was revealing himself as God because that was the name that, that God gave to, uh, to Moses when Moses said, who do I say is, is sending me? Like, who is rescuing them? And, and God answers him out of the burning bush, I am. And so Jesus, in doing this, he is setting himself on this course and he is declaring that he is not only a prophet, he is not only a teacher, he isn't even only just a savior or a messiah, he is God in the flesh. And so today, for the next um, seven weeks, we're going to look at each one of these other statements, that foundational statement of what he is saying, and then he, that we have seven metaphorical statements where Jesus says, I am something. And each one of those statements give us a glimpse of what does he mean when he says, I am? What does God mean when he says, I am? Who is, who is this God? Who is this Jesus? So today we look at John 10, and we're gonna, I'm just going to read the first 10 verses of it. I encourage you to, to follow along if you have it. And you may notice that the, the heading of this section is, I am the good shepherd. But today we're talking about Jesus saying, I am the door. So you might think we're in the wrong passage, but we're not. Because in this big section where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he talks about being the shepherd, which we're going to talk about that next week. He puts this other metaphor in the middle of it, where he says, I, I am the door of the sheep. And your translation might say, I am the gate it's an odd metaphor, right? Like other ones make more sense. The shepherd, the way, the truth, the life, the vine. How is Jesus a door? We're going to find out. John 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. 
Lord, help us to be faithful in the hearing of your word and help me to be faithful in the preaching of your word for your glory, for our joy, and for our very lives. Amen. So Jesus tells this parable, and you may have noticed that last verse that we read there, that might have rung some bells and say, okay, no, I've heard, I've heard that verse before, but this is in a greater context of Jesus where he's drawing this metaphor of sheep and shepherds. And so just a little bit of background for that to understand the context of what he's talking about here is what the people there would have understood is it was normal that there would be a shepherd who would have some sheep and that sometimes they would join together, multiple shepherds with multiple flocks of sheep. It's flocks, right? Not herds or gaggles. Great, great. Okay. Herds. Flocks. Flock of sheep. Flock of geeses. There we go. And... And so the flock of sheep, they would take them and they would put them together, right? And, and all of them, the different shepherd and their different sheep would all be together in one pen and there would be a gatekeeper and he would keep watch on them over the night, over the, over the pen. And in the morning, the shepherd to, to come and, and bring them out into finding pasture would, would come to them and would call them out. And the shepherd would know which sheep were his and which were somebody else's. But not only that, they would have typically a a specific call, a specific voice that, um, that the sheep would recognize. And so a shepherd would come in and they would make his call and the sheep would know and they're like, ah, that's my shepherd and they would go out. But the other sheep that weren't, they would stay in. And so that's, what, that's the situation that's going on. That makes sense why Jesus is saying, look, the sheep know the shepherd's voice. When he comes in and he calls, they all go with him. And he says, further, if somebody tries to enter in outside of the gate, the gatekeeper's not going to let them in because the gatekeeper's going to say, look, you're not, a, you're not a shepherd. So you don't get to come in and get these sheep. And so if they try to get around and come in by some other way, then that's, that's a thief. That's a robber. Their intent is not the good of the sheep. Their intent is to kill and destroy and to steal. So that's the background that everybody would have understood. It's very simple, actually. If someone tries to get into the pen by some other means, they were not the shepherd. If someone didn't know their sheep, they were not the shepherd. And next week, we're going to deal more with that idea of, okay, what does it mean that the sheep hear his voice and know, know him? But what I think is interesting is as Jesus reads through this, he's making a certain statement that my sheep know my voice. He doesn't say, notice he doesn't say, well, I'll come in and tell the sheep how great I am, and then if they decide that, that I, I'm a good shepherd, then they'll come out with me. He says, no, 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 my sheep, whom I have called, will follow me. And so hopefully that's at least a little piece of comfort to know, okay, if I belong to him, he will call me out. I need to just listen for his voice. But what's interesting is that even though the people hear this metaphor and they understand what Jesus is talking about in a sheep and shepherd kind of context, they don't have any idea what he's talking about as it pertains to him. Because in verse 6, if you look, it says, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. 
So he's referring to himself as the shepherd, but at the end of that, they don't understand. And so Jesus introduces and, and puts in this second metaphor in this section. He is the shepherd, but he's also the door. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. What's that all about? Well, if a shepherd had his sheep out in the field and they weren't going to be able to get back to where the pen was or where they would normally be kept overnight, sometimes what a shepherd would do is he would make kind of an impromptu pen. He would find a, a clearing, a protected little section where he could, could get all the sheep into, and then there would just be one little opening for the sheep to go in and out of this makeshift pen. And in that situation, the shepherd himself would lie down in that little opening And he would become the gate for the sheep. He would become the door. And so what's fascinating about that, it's almost as to say, while they were far from home, when Jesus is saying, while we're far from home, I am the gate. Through me, you will go in and out and find pasture. Through me, you can go in and out and come back in and be safe and go out and find green pasture. In many ways, like this, this is how Jesus leads us here in this time on earth. And he is wanting to make the point, almost as if to bring them into focus. As they're saying, what does it mean? All the questions that might come up when you're reading this passage. What does it mean that you're a shepherd? What does it mean you know the sheep by name? What does it mean that we'll hear your voice? What if I don't hear your voice? What if, I, what if I'm not sure if I'm hearing your voice? How do I know any of this? And it's almost like he's saying, like, just relax. Okay? I am the door. If you come in and out by me, you will be saved and find pasture. It's not the only time Jesus does things like this. Where he tells his disciples, you know the way that I'm going. And they say to him, Lord, we don't know. How how are we supposed to know where you're going? You haven't told us. And that's when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus often is giving us these big picture ideas and we're looking at them and going like, "Ah, how can we possibly understand that? And he zeroes it in and narrows it down. And he says, fix your eyes on me. Seek first the kingdom. All these other things will be added unto you. I am the vine. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so I want to encourage you that the big part of this is whatever, whatever is going on in your life, whatever questions you may have, whatever thing that you're wondering about, what, what should I do over here, or how am I going to get through this, or how am I going to handle this, here's what I want you to remember and hear. Jesus is the door. Whatever God has for you, however he's going to deliver you or fulfill you, whatever that is, it will be found through Jesus. He is the gate. He is the door. There is no other way to find pasture 
There's no other way. And you don't have to understand all the things and all the ways. The sheep don't understand what that pen is and why it's safer than this other place. They just know, that's my shepherd. He's the door. And they go through him. Now, one of the themes that comes up in the I am statements, one little disclaimer I want to give is that these sound so exclusive. It's, it's one of the big problems people have with Christianity is that it's just, it's exclusive. And so I've had people say to me before, I'll, I'll share something, and people say, well, that sounds nice, but, but it sounds like you're saying that unless a person is a Christian, then they can't have this abundant life or they, they can't be saved. So say, so you're, you're saying that Jesus is the only path to salvation and to green pasture. And my response is no. Jesus is saying that he is the only path to salvation and to green pasture. What I say doesn't matter. What he says matters immensely. This is why C.S. Lewis says that you can't claim that Jesus is just a great teacher or a moral or ethical guru. The claims that Jesus made about himself mean that he is either a liar, a lunatic, or he is Lord. That's what all these I am statements have in common. Jesus doesn't leave other options. He doesn't say, I am a way. He doesn't say, I am a vine that can give you life. He doesn't say, I am a door. That there's like also a back door and this cool side entrance. And if you find the secret entrance over here, like you can get in there too. He's saying, I am the door. I am the vine. I am the way. And that will make us, especially in our culture, feel very uncomfortable. And I just want you to understand and hear me say that I understand that. It does feel uncomfortable, but maybe our comfort with it isn't the most important thing. Maybe the truth of the claim is the most important thing. And so, yes, these statements are exclusive in the sense that Jesus is making the claim that it is only through him that you will find pasture. It is only through him you will find salvation. But not only is it exclusive in that way, it is also the most inclusive of all faiths in that Jesus says anyone can come. It doesn't matter who you are, what your ethnicity is, it doesn't matter your educational level or your financial status or your family tree or where you were born. One of the incredible things about Christianity over the years is unlike any other religion, the center of Christianity has moved around the globe from generation to generation. There is, every study right now shows that in the next probably 50 years, the American and, and the Western world and, and the United States will no longer be considered at all the center of Christianity. The global south is, is far becoming the, the center of, of influence and population of Christianity. One missiologist I read said that there's going to come a day not too far in the future that hearing the term white Christian will sound a lot like hearing Swedish Buddhist. He's saying there's going to come a day where people are going to say, 
you're a Christian, but you're white, and you're from America. How did that happen? And if you think that's strange, look back at the history of the world. It's a strange thing when people claim that Christianity is a Western religion. It is not. Like, it started in the Middle East. Its center for a long time was in, like, Ethiopia. We are Johnny-come-lately to this whole thing. That's the reality, is that Christianity, the claims of Jesus, are exclusive, but they're also incredibly inclusive. Which is why it's strange when people say, like, oh, I don't, I just, I like what he's saying, but I don't like that he's saying, like, you, so you're saying only through that door. And Jesus says, yeah, and all who come in it will be saved. See, there's another one who wants to confuse that issue. He comes not through the gate, but he climbs in another way. And he'll say, well, that's, that's kind of judgmental of Jesus to say something like that. I mean, there's all kinds of philosophies and worldviews and religions. And he says that those things can also deliver what they promise. And other things can offer salvation through success or money or politics. But this one that does not come through the gate, his aim is not your salvation and your good. It makes no difference to him which other way you try to enter into pasture. He's offering a completely different pasture. And it looks enticing. But Jesus says his sheep will not follow him because he is a stranger. They don't know his voice. So saying there are different ways to get into the pen, Jesus is acknowledging that, but those are all destructive ways. Saying there are different ways to get into the pen would be like they're saying there are different ways to board a plane. Like you go through the door or you go through the engine. And sometimes we find ourselves going like, well, who are you to say that you can't get into the plane through the engine? I saw Harrison Ford do it one time. That's called fiction. <laughs> See, this is the claim of Jesus. He says, I am the door. If you go through any other way, you will not find what you desire. You will not find salvation and you will not find pasture. That is the way of the thief and his aim is to kill and to destroy. And he said, my aim is that you would have life and have it abundantly. Just think about that. Yes, it's a promise of eternal life, but it's a promise of abundant life. That's why he talks about pasture. He doesn't just say salvation, but he says he'll go in and out and find pasture. And pasture for a sheep represents everything that they could possibly want. Everything good for them. It's where they hang out. It's where all their needs are met. As D.A. Carson put it, it's in the pasture that you have fat, happy, contented, rested sheep. And I don't know about you, but I really would love to be a fat, happy, contented sheep. You're like, I got one of them. All right. Happy. I know you're thinking happy. That's... Thank you. Like, 
everything. This is the, what the offer that Jesus is saying. He's like, look, I know that you get confused about all these other ways that you could go about it. I know you're chasing all these other things, but he's trying to boil it down. And he's saying, I'm the door. Come through me. That's where you're going to find pasture. That pasture is life abundant, as he says in John 10.10. 10. Every desire fulfilled at its deepest level. There's a thought that living the Christian life is living a moral life. And that may end up being a descriptor, but it's not the central point of the abundant life. The words that are actually used to describe the life of Christ that is found in Christ are joy and peace, contentment, love, all in abundance. And often people think like, okay, I I hear what he's offering, but what what do I have to give up? Like if I follow Jesus, does that mean I need to have to, I have to stop doing these other things or I have to stop, I I like these things and I think these things are actually really helpful. And so, so if I just follow Jesus, do I have to give all that up? Or maybe you think like, okay, no, I can negotiate in my own mind and justify this and say, no, no, no I can continue to, to live this part of my life, but I, everything else I'm going to follow Jesus. And if you think about it, it's just a, it's an odd thought. It assumes that whatever Jesus has for us is less than what we actually want. Like that's the big assumption. The big assumption is that yes, what Jesus offers is good, but I also have some things that I would like to add to the mix that I I think are also better. And if I just go fully after Jesus, I'm probably going to miss out on some of these other things that I really want. Painting Jesus as some kind of a stingy headmaster who really, really doesn't like fun or laughter or happiness. He's willing to tolerate a little bit of it, but not too much. And so you kind of have to bring some balance to him. And that he's really only going to give you the basics of what you need. And so if you want a little bit more, you probably have to get it yourself. It assumes that what Jesus is offering is only worth it because it's the right thing to choose, not the best thing. But what Jesus says over and over and over again is it is better than you can imagine. You're not capable of imagining all that Jesus has for you. In Matthew 13, a parable that you will hear a lot here if you stick around for long, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. thing that it's so hard for Christians to believe, myself, definitely myself included, is that the way of Jesus entering in through the door gives me everything that I could possibly ever desire at its deepest level. C.S. Lewis has the famous quote from The Weight of Glory in talking about this very thing. Probably many of you know it. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. So this is responding to people who talk about 
like, well, there's all these don'ts that you can't do in the Christian life. Like, if I follow Jesus, then I gotta stop doing all these other things. And he says, our Lord finds our desires not too strong, desires that need to be tampered down, but they're too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. The question is, do you want to have joy that isn't extinguished when the weekend is over and you have to go back to work? Do you want to have peace that remains when storms hit your life? Do you want to have love that lasts beyond a surface connection? Then listen to his voice. Follow him. This isn't just, by the way, for a non-Christian to say, come to him. It is that. Find salvation in him. But it's what we have to remind ourselves, those of us who are following Jesus, we have to remind ourselves every single day, who do we say that he is? Do I believe what he is offering me here? Or do I want to find pasture through another way? Will I listen to his voice and follow him? Imagine someone promised you perfect health. Let me just, like, let's say someone promises you perfect health. And all you have to do is just take this pill. I guess you don't really have to imagine, just watch any commercials. Like a set of commercials. And they might say, like, you don't have to go. Th- like that door, if you try to go through health through that door, you got to like eat healthy and exercise regularly and get good sleep and, def- uh, you know, find new rhythms. That's all like, that's really hard. Like, just take this pill. Now, hopefully, we all would recognize that as Ridiculous. And yet, we do it every single day, thinking that there is some shortcut, some other way. And ultimately, we're bending over backwards, trying to find this other way, just so that we can make mud pies in a slum. Well, God is saying, come through Jesus the gate, and you will find pasture. We try to find peace by controlling things, and that only ends up robbing us of any shred of peace we had. We try to find rest by doing such restful things as scrolling through social media and stressing out over hobbies. We try to find joy through chasing experiences or buying things, and it's fleeting. But Jesus is the door to something greater, the things we actually want. Years ago, we had a, a friend who came to Christ through our church out in, in Colorado. And it was just an incredible conversion where she just was hearing, we'd had this season where the gospel was being proclaimed a lot at the local Starbucks. And we just saw people coming to faith. And she actually came to Christ ultimately by eavesdropping on other conversations we were having with other baristas and through that, she invited herself to our house church and just said, can I come too? And I was like, well, sure. 
So she came, she started asking questions, and then pretty soon those questions about you Christians started turning into we questions of like, well, how are we supposed to do this? And we learned that she had, she committed her life to Christ. And, and in the aftermath of that, she was just is incredible. She was a walking book of Acts. Like everywhere she went, incredible things happened. She just believed that God was showing up everywhere and she would see it. She would get on the bus and she would just pray that God would let her share her new faith with somebody and somebody would sit down next to her and she wasn't the least bit surprised. She'd say, oh yeah, God brought you here. And she would tell him. I remember one time she was with a, a friend of ours who, um, who was discipling her. I was like, I asked her to, to disciple um, this other young woman and so they were meeting at a coffee shop and they were reading a passage and they didn't understand it. And, and uh, um, this young woman was asking her discipler, like, what, how, what does this mean? And her discipler was like, I don't, I actually, I don't know what that means. And um, like, well, we need to find out. And she said, well, I can, I'll, I'll shoot Jay a text or we can talk about it. I'll ask, um, ask Jay and whatever. And, and this young woman goes, well, why don't we just ask God right now to give us somebody that can tell us now? And her discipler was like, well, that's not really how that works. And she's like, well, why not? Like, okay. So they prayed. And as they finished praying, a man walks by and says, hey, you guys are reading the Bible. I'm a pastor. And what I love about that is that the young woman who had come to Christ, like the the discipler was like, oh, oh, can you believe this? (laughs) Ah! And the young woman who had just come to Christ was like, yeah, so my question is this. Like, it's totally normal. This woman was growing by leaps and bounds. She was finding it, but it was also hard. She was dying to herself. She was forsaking other things that she had been pursuing. She was devoting chunks of time to being in the word and prayer and to the church family. She was bonding with people in our church who weren't the same age as her and didn't have the same hobbies. And, and she was connecting with all of them. And she ran into one of her friends who had been, that had grown up in the church, that she knew had grown up in the church. And so she was so excited to tell her friend that she hadn't seen for years that she had come to Christ. And so she told her friend, she's like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian. And her friend was like, oh, that's so great. And so this young woman was telling her her testimony and sharing it and then saying, you know, it is, what I found is it's like, it's so hard, but man, is it worth it. Like, I've never felt more alive. I've never felt more, like, full of joy. And her friend said, what do you mean it's hard? And she said, well, I just, like, just dying to myself and like going and sometimes sharing the gospel and sometimes like being in the word and all this, like it's just like it's, 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 it can be challenging sometimes and hard. And her friend said, oh, it doesn't have to be that hard. You should come to our church. We don't do any of those things. You just come and you, we have like awesome music and then they'll find you. You don't have to try to connect with people that are older than you. And they're like, no, we've got, we've got all the people that are just like you. They're your age and they do all the same things and it's so, it's so easy. And you don't have to read the Bible on your own like they do every week. They have a sermon, they put the words up on the screen. You don't even have to open up your own Bible. And this young woman was so confused and so discouraged. See, like, even in the church, we have to be mindful of the other doors and the other ways that we try to come in and out of the pen and find pasture. But the life that God is offering is a life of abundance. What do you want? 
Whatever you want, God has something deeper for you. Do you want that life that the young woman was experiencing? Do you, what, do you, what do you desire? Do you want security? Do you want significance, intimacy, rest, contentment? Whatever it is you're looking for, Jesus is the door. His sheep hear his voice. If you're wondering, how does that actually work? And what, you know, like, how do I keep it from being just this big idea? And how does this work practically? One thing I would encourage you to do this week, make a list of everything you want. Everything. Big things, small things. Like every single thing. Like healing of an illness all the way to like a brand new fishing pole. Like just Everything. And then ask, what desire are you hoping that that thing will fulfill? What is it you really want? I promise you, it's not just a fishing pole. There's something deeper. And I promise you, it's not just healing of an illness. There's something deeper. What desire are you hoping it fulfills? And then ask, how does Jesus fulfill that deeper desire? And then go through him. Like take, take the silly example of a fishing pole, which is super silly. Say I want a fishing pole. It's obviously fictional. Right? You say why? Well, why do I want a fishing pole, a new fishing pole? Because I love fishing. Remember, fictional, very fictional. Well, why? Why do I love fishing? Because it's peaceful. It's calm. Being out in nature, I stop worrying about some other things and I feel like, just feel it at rest, at peace. Okay, there it is. What you really want is peace from the chaos of your mind or the chaos of your job or the world around you. You want rest. That's what you want. How does Jesus fulfill that? How does he bring true peace as he has made peace with us, with God? How he has become our peace. As Paul says in Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So when you tell God everything that you want and everything that you need, even the stuff that feels selfish or feels petty or feels insignificant, when you tell him all those things, then the spirit starts to work in your heart and he starts to get to a place where the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts from chasing those things as idols that cannot deliver what you're looking for. And then something really incredible happens. When you realize, okay, what I'm actually looking for is in Christ, and you actually start to receive that from him, then you're free to receive the gift of a fishing pole or a weekend out on the water. Because now it's a gift that reminds you of the peace that you have in Christ 
rather than an idol or rather, rather than the door that you're going through to find that peace. See the difference? Like Jesus isn't saying, no, no fishing for you. If you really loved me, then you'd be at church and not fishing. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, enter through me. I will give you rest for your soul. And so now you go fishing. Be reminded of that peace that I give you. And then if you don't get to go this weekend, you still have my peace. This goes with anything. What do you want from a relationship? But to be known and to be loved. And how is that fulfilled in Christ? As you say, God, I want this relationship to work. He says, I know, but I know you more deeply than you can ever be known by anyone else. And I love you so much that I sent my son for you. And when you truly experience that love and that being known by Christ, then you're free to love your neighbor as yourself. You're free to to love your spouse as a gift rather than the door through which you're going to find intimacy and being known and loved. You're free to love your friends without putting on them the weight of being your pastor. Maybe you want healing from an illness. But what is it you really want? To be fully healed and to be made whole, to be who you were created to be. Where are you going to go outside of your creator to find out who you were created to be? The promise that Jesus heals us from the inside out and promises that he will complete this work and that there is going to come a day. We know that even physical healing here on earth, it's temporary. But what Christ offers is eternal. Go through him and find pasture. The thief will always tell you that there is a different way. But it is only through Jesus that you will find what you're looking for, what you truly need to be satisfied, to be fat, happy, contented sheep. That's what we want. And as Augustine said, our heart, heart is restless until it rests in you. Jesus is the door. I get that this still may not be a fully satisfying answer, but if you go back to the beginning, why does Jesus tell them he is the door? Remember, it's because he's talking about being the shepherd, but they don't understand. And so he draws them in and he said, just look at me. I am the door. He makes it simpler coming back to him and we understand that the long and the short of the gospel and the way of Jesus is stick close to Jesus it's not master all this information so you can pass the test it's not learn all these principles so that so that you'll do the right thing it's stick close to him As he says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest for your soul. Take my yoke upon you 
and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So you may not know how Jesus is going to fulfill that desire that you have listed out, but let me tell you a very basic and very important truth. You don't have to understand how he will fulfill it for him to be able to fulfill it. And I thank God every day for that. Think about it. I mentioned earlier, sheep don't understand why this pen is a good place for them to be overnight. They don't understand why this clearing is. They don't understand. All they know is, that's my shepherd, I'm going through that gate. Sheep are not the sharpest tools in the shed. They're a lot like chickens. We had chickens for a while because we're super like farmer types. One of our chickens, we named them. That's how you know we're not farmer types. Like we, we named them. One of them was Daffodil. Daffodil was a dim bulb, as Lauren would say. And one night, Daffodil got left out of the coop. She didn't enter the door of the coop. What she did instead, as we reconstructed it, she made her bed on a mound in the center of our backyard in a clearing of trees where she was set up as a natural platter bathed in moonlight. <laughs> now I'm sure that she thought she was living the life. Fresh air instead of being in that coop. Soaking in the moonlight. Lots of space. Just looking up at the stars. And the next morning, we found a pile of daffodil feathers on that beautiful place. But no daffodil. I know, sad, right? <laughs> Listen, part of what Jesus is saying is you don't have to fully know how this abundant life is going to come about. You don't have to figure out where to find pasture or safety for the night. Just find me and fix your eyes on me and go through me. I am the door. So right now you may be facing something that seems insurmountable. You may be chasing something that seems out of reach. The bottom line is this. Jesus has something far greater for you than what you can even imagine right now. Something that is beyond your ability to comprehend. And you will only find it by going through him. He is the door. And if you are here and you're not a Christian, that starts with confessing him as Lord. Enter and be saved. You won't find it anywhere else. Who do you say that he is? And remember, he does not leave open the option to just say he's a good teacher that has some good principles. He's a good ethical leader. I can, I can probably figure out a better way to live my life. He is saying, I am. I am the door of the sheep. Enter in and be saved. Do you believe him? Then turn over your kingdom and come and enter his rest. But if you are here and you are a Christian, you are following Jesus, stop chasing other doors and other ways of trying to find pasture. Just go through him. Stop worrying so much about what job I should have or what school I should go to or which, which path I should choose and find him and just go through him. 
Whatever it is, I, I, right now, dealing with a lot of high schoolers who are graduating and worrying about what college should I choose, what career path. Listen, whatever God has for you in that, go through him. He is the door. If you're a new parent and you're freaking out about having this baby and you don't know what are you going to do, how, are you, how am I going to raise this kid in this world, go through him. There is no other door. If you're facing an illness right now and you're wondering, I don't know if this treatment is going to work. I don't know if, if I'm going to be able to be delivered through this. Like, go through him. He has your healing. If you are battling an addiction and you don't know if you can last and you don't know how much longer you can keep this up and what two months is going to look like and two years is going to look like, go through him. He is your door. Whatever gift of rest and peace God has for you, Jesus is the door. Whatever gift of healing God has for you, Jesus is the door. Whatever gift of good relationships God has for you, Jesus is the door. So enter by him and be saved and find pasture. Let's pray. Father God, you Lord, are our shepherd. We shall not want. You make us lie down in green pastures and lead us beside quiet waters. You restore our souls. You lead us in the path of righteousness for your namesake. And even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil. Lord, for you are with us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us. You prepare a table set before us in the presence of our enemies. You anoint our head with oil and our cups, they overflow. Surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. And we shall dwell in your house forever. Amen.